leaving college is a big change for everyone. I think no one really knows what to expect. You have to be careful getting yourself into a mental trap. Just because I'm doing a job today that I have somehow defined my entire path to the future. When they have a hundred pictures in a room after they're all talking, they will fight for you over anyone. Taking that insatiable appetite and tying it with what you're really good with. When people live that way, others around you notice there's something different about you. Did you want to be a CEO when you were a kid or did that kind of just happen? It never occurred to me to be a CEO when I was a kid. If a student could articulate that, employers may pass out. Welcome back to Practive Passionate. On a day-to-day basis, we can tweak our posture just a tiny bit to be taken more seriously in a room. We can also do a way better job at telling our personal story by focusing on pivotal moments. These are two things we got to talk with our guest about on this episode. Our guest, Bogda Yimam, is an Emmy award-winning journalist, former TV anchor, media personality, speaker, and coach. She has been honored for her work nearly every year in her career, including a regional Emmy Award and the prestigious Edward R. Muro Award. Bogda is the first Ethiopian-American newscaster to receive an Emmy for her work. Here she is. Going to regret why you came on this podcast. We can assure you that. <laughs> oh goodness! You guys are gonna grill me? Oh no, boy! No, no, no. no I, I hope you grill us, though. You know, yeah, throw it back at us. But no, we're gonna have a lot of fun. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, we are super excited to have you on today. Um, really, I think you know the past episodes we've done, we've taken many leaps for people to already go into a situation and talk about their stories. But now we have someone of your caliber trying to extrapolate how people get to telling their stories. But even before we get to that point, I want to know about your childhood. I think this is where we get to kind of humanize a lot of our guests. I mean, parents immigrated from Ethiopia during what, the 1970s? Like, talk to us about kind of like growing up in that household. What was it like? Wow, that's a really good question. You guys just went straight off the top. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's a great question. Um, You know, yes, my parents migrated from Ethiopia, late 60s, early 70s, and you know, they, they, they did what many, you know, immigrants do in terms of trying to just create a life here. And the intention actually, when they first arrived from Ethiopia to America was just to go to school and then return back to Ethiopia. But there were a lot of human rights violations that were happening during that time frame. So their parents told them to stay here. And so more family members kept coming from Ethiopia because they, there were, as I, as I mentioned, human rights violations that were taking place. So, you know, our, our home became, you know, a, a rock for a lot of family members who were also migrating from Ethiopia. So it really was something where there was old, always a family member from Ethiopia visiting or, or, you know, going to school, trying to also create their own life here. And, and now they have. So, you know, our, our family home was, pretty much always full. <laughs> and I have four, uh, three siblings. So there's four of us. Okay. So packed household, not only with three siblings, but many more Ethiopians coming into that mix. Yeah. You know, they came like one at a time, you know, and they stay for a year before they, you know, get on their feet and then do their own thing and move to Virginia or move to Maryland. So now we have a lot of family members, as you can imagine, who now have kids and then their kids have kids. So 
you know, we really do have like a, a small tribe <laughs> in, in the DC, Maryland area. So, um, you know, and it's, and I, I give my parents a lot of credit because it's not easy financially. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to take on as well. Emotionally, it's a lot to take on, you know, and they, and they did it. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was quite a lot, quite a lot. A lot of people don't do it now because it is so hard. So you can pull this answer from two different things, whether it's the actual struggle you saw your parents go through and, and them supporting mm-hmm. all these family members or just something mm-hmm. from various family members. Since you had so many coming through your house, what would you say you is the number one thing you learned during that time from that experience? Mm-hmm. I think the number one thing that I learned was, you know, just the importance of support and family and, you know, a lot of people don't have that support system and, you know, to have my parents, whether they had it or not at that time, really try to find a way to help. I just think speaks a lot to, you know, the meaning of what family does for each other. Um, and like I said, it was financially tough. You know, when I was a teenager about a month before my 16th birthday, um, you know, we, we lost our home. Um, and, and that, led me down this, this path of, um, a lot of confusion. And we ended up, you know, moving, you know, about 30 or 40 minutes from my high school, which at that time was a big commute. Um, it, you know, all of that along with other things impacted grades. Um, it, it just, it really was, it was a struggle. You know, I went into a teenage depression and it was just a lot, you know, and, and my, my parents had their own things going on, you know, because we, we of course had just lost our, our home. So, you know, it was, it was a tough time around the high school years, but, you know, coming out of that and reflecting on it, you know, certainly made me a lot stronger and, and definitely molded who I am today. So I'm grateful that I experienced that um, for, for a number of reasons, you know, how I can relate to people, um, you know, empathy, all of those things, you know, and really, really knowing where people are and, and being, and being able to say I've been there too. And so, you know, just, you know, I think that it's something that, you know, you learn from the experience, so many takeaways. So I I can't think of just one, but I can tell you the family support system and then having to also have resilience, you know, to go through things yourself at a, at a young age and and figure it out. So, you know, it's a number of things that, that I learned from that whole experience. And what was, what were some of those, triumphant moments where you saw within yourself like man i can really do this like because i'm assuming as like a teenager like your parents like you'd mentioned had so many things going on your support system has you know their own tribulations to deal with so what kind of questions or thoughts rally rallied you to get past that hurdle it took a while i, I know it, it took a while like it wasn't a quick thing you know you know i, I spiraled into a teenage depression and you know, went deep into it. And so it, t- it took a while to get out. Um, it, it, it was not, I, it wasn't a quick, like, Oh, here was, here was a big win. But I think that some of the things that helped me move out of that was uh, change of environment. One, um, proving to myself that, you know, academically that I could thrive in college, um, that I really could do really well if I put my mind to it. And so that was a, that was a self-esteem booster, you know, um, cause my self-esteem had it a low. So, 
um, I was in, I have, to, I have to give some context too, because we were in an extremely wealthy, wealthy area. So, you know, when you're in an extremely wealthy area and you're not, uh, you know, looking, you're looking around your friends and you're like, okay, I am not that. I don't have that. You know, those kinds of things at a young age kind of can impact you. So, you know, it was, it was check marks. It's like, you know, I studied abroad in college. I paid for my own college and I figured out a way to do that and figured out a way to study abroad as well. And, and I just, I didn't have any friends going on the study abroad trip, but I just said, you know, what, I'm going to go. And that, that trip, I think just changed my mental framing. It just changed my mental framing. Um, just the ability to, to figure it out, to do it and just enjoy myself in that, you know, completely new environment. And I think that really helped me really come out of it a lot, a lot better. Um, yeah, the change of scenery there, I, I couldn't agree more. Just throwing yourself into something that forces you to look outside of what your current sort of mm-hmm. status is. Um, mm-hmm. But I also completely get, you know, the backside of that too. You know, Rashav and I growing up here as well, you know, we see there's a lot of wealth here in the D.C. area. And uh, we, yeah. always, we always joked that we knew we would have made it. We, we knew we would we could say we've made it when we have uh, water dispensers in our fridges. <laughs> that, was always, <laughs> that was always the standard. All of our friends always had the water dispensers in that, that came, automatically came out of their fridge. And it was right, right. To us and, and that was just something neither of our families ever had. Now we're shot out in Chicago. We have them. We have them now. We have them. Nice. We have them. Nice. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned that because, you know, my parents, like they did do the American dream of, of having the home and, and they came from great families who um, really provided. And when they came to America and they were doing it themselves, they really figured out a way to have the American dream, you know, and I give them a lot of credit um, because they figured it out as immigrants and they, and they were pioneers in their own way of, of, of setting other people up for success. And, and here's what to do and here's what it looks like, you know, so it's like they figured it out and they, they passed that along and that's, that's huge and it's tremendous. And it's the reason why some other family members are really successful. I believe today they had, they had that, that foundation, um, you know, so it's, it was a certain point where we had it and then we didn't, you know, and when we didn't, it was just like, ah, you know, boom, kind of, kind of, you, you know, you're, you're in an environment that's full of wealth, like you guys said. And then at a certain point, you know, you don't have it and you're figuring it out. So I think that, you know, what you guys are sharing too, it's like, you know, this podcast and all of the great things that you guys are doing is, is because of what you went through, you know? So it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it comes full circle. 100%. So, you know, we're building that confidence now, both. Uh, we're moving out of high school. I think I mm-hmm. saw an internship for Good Morning America. Can you talk about that transition where you're actually starting to gain that confidence post-college? Right. So I actually interned at Channel 7 in D.C. and Good Morning America during college. Uh, Good Morning America was as I was heading into my senior year. I really believe in internships. A lot of journalism internships don't pay. So for the journalism industry, for folks who want to go into that, just know that ahead of time. Some do, but a lot of them don't because, frankly, there's just such high demand. Um, and, that's, and that's the reality of it. Um, high demand for people who want to do those internships. So it was a competitive internship. Yep. Lived in New York. After I came back from Spain, 
studied abroad and just threw myself into New York and Good Morning America. Learned a lot. Learned a lot about the industry. I think most importantly, um, some of the behind the scenes things. Just you know, it's a, it's a competitive and it's a it's a it's a hard industry personally for a lot of people. And I I think that was a big eye opener. Um, just trying to juggle both. You know, trying to juggle the personal and the professional life on a national when you were on a national platform like Good Morning America. So. You know, that was fantastic. You know, got to meet Robin Roberts. And that was, you know, those are some of the highlights, some fun stuff in there. But, you know, all in all, those internships were just giving me different tastes of what it would be like um, at different levels. And so I was really grateful that I did internships through college. And if there's anything you can do is taste taste the internships, you know, get, get an idea before, even if you can do that before you major in something, or at least within the first year of majoring in something, you're able to get some real eye-opening life experience in there to see what an internship, you know, what, what somebody's role really looks like their day to day. I think that that's, that's going to save you a lot of time and potentially a lot of finances too. And you spoke about the demand there. I mean, this is Good Morning America. I'm sure you're not the only applicant, you know, throwing your name in the mix. What did yeah. you do differently? Like, talk to us about the blueprint of some things that you implemented in your application process that really kind of made you a standout candidate. Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man. I mean, uh, let me think. What did I put in my application? I mean, it really was quite a while ago. I don't want to date myself here. But... I definitely highlighted any internship that I had done previously to that to lead up to it. I had worked a little bit for Channel 7 behind the scenes like production assistant. So I had some actual work experience, which was, I think, a, a plus as well. And I'm sure I added some personal nuggets about myself. So I think weaving in some of the personal, who are you? You know, what is your story along with what experience do you have that's led you to really desire this this work experience, this internship experience. Um, and I think the same thing applies when you're in an interview. Um, I've, always, I've always been proud to say that I interview really well. And I've gotten that feedback from people who later hired me. <laughs> and so I would say that if you are looking for a job, you know, you're coming out of college, when you are in the interview, yes, talk about what you've done, but also reveal nuggets about who you are. And I think it's, it's highly overlooked um, and, and under, underestimated because that's how people actually connect to you. That's how the guy or, or, or a woman who's interviewing you, that's how she relates to you um, based on who you are. And so I just think that people don't highlight that enough. They go straight to statistics and facts and here's what I've done. But people want to connect with you and, and humanize you a bit more. So you have a story, you have a fantastic story. You know, Rashav has a great story. Emigrating from Nepal. I mean, I have a story. I came from Australia. What would you say mm. to those people who don't feel like they have that story yet? Where, you know, they might have grown up in middle middle America and they really don't think there's anything special about them. How did they craft their story where they go into that interview room, they can really relate to the interviewer that's talking to them? Mm-hmm. Well, I do believe everyone has a story. And sometimes you know, people say, you know, I help you find your voice. And I, I never say that to people. And, and here's the reason why. It's because everyone already has their voice. What, what we don't really always get a hold of is that. What makes 
what makes you stand out from the crowd? You know, what makes you special? And I think that people underestimate what they've gone through, number one. And if a listener is trying to figure that out, the first thing I would say is look for a transformational moment in your life, a moment that did transform you. And it doesn't have to be mental health. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, abuse. It doesn't have to be those, those things. Sometimes we go straight to that, but it, I'm not necessarily saying it has to be that. It could be something totally different that just transformed you. It could be a moment about your thought process, how you think, mental patterns, mental framing, all that stuff. So take a step back and just ask, ask yourself, you know, what was a transformational moment that I went through that really transformed how I thought, how I acted, my belief system? And don't brush it off. You know, a lot of people brush it off. Like, oh, it wasn't that important. Well, maybe it was if you just dig in a little bit more. And there's more to all of that, but I think that's a good starting point for anyone who's just listening. Just jot that down. Whatever first came to mind when I said that, write it down and go from there. And then the other piece, like how do you connect that or articulate that? So if I found my transformational moment, how Mm -hmm. do I share that with people so it seems organic and not just something that I wrote down and I come off as robotic? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you've got to have some passion, you know? Um, so it, it can't be a transformation moment where you don't care about it yourself. Your passion will come through and your passion is what ignites people to connect. You know, I'm a, I'm passionate. I'm a passionate person. You know, I know that about myself, you know, when I'm into something, I'm, I'm passionate about it and the people can sense that. So if someone says, yeah, I have a transformational moment, but they don't care about it, They're not passionate about it. Then they need to look again. They need to look again. And there might be some, some deeper, more soul searching that, that may need to take place. But when I work with my masterclass members and clients who are looking to craft their story, there's a way to do it that is organic. And I, and I like that you use you know, that term where it's organic, but you still have to structure it first. So one way, and, and, and I throw this out there as an example, Sometimes we forget details. So if you can remember a detail, you know, there may be a date that stands out. Like there's, there may be a date, a moment in that date that really had high impact, you know, um, a year. Um, we, we just forget details. And I think sometimes weaving in the details can make it, yes, more organic, but also it's, it's telling a story. And telling a story, it's a craft, you know, you could, storytelling is a craft that means anyone can do it. You just have to work to get good at it. And then the body language aspect of things, I've heard that a lot where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, communication is what 10% of what you say, 90% of how you say it. So just tactical things that you think I can go out or anybody listening to this can go out and implement tomorrow where their passion shines through just based on their body language? Like, what would you tell someone if they ask you, what do I do with my hands or motion or anything like that to make my story a lot more powerful? Yeah, when I work with people, I show them, I demonstrate with them. But one thing is that you, if you're sitting in a chair, you don't want to be all the way back the whole time. You know, sitting on the edge of the seat can automatically put your posture. So oftentimes we're in an interview, you know, we're sitting... I would say sit more toward the edge of the seat, you know, have your, your back to be upright, you know, so your shoulders go back and your posture 
becomes this like kind of chest forward a bit and you really, um, you use your hands, not over, not too much, but people don't want to use their hands. But if your hands are part of how you express yourself, then that's you. So don't deny those pieces of you that, uh, that express yourself. And you have to start with your emotional state. You know, if you're telling yourself before you go into the, the interview, oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be so hard. It's going to be a bust. You're, you're just going to keep saying that to yourself and go down that spiraling pattern. You have to, you have to talk those affirmations and believe it and believe it. So if you need to move around a bit more to believe it, then that's what you got to do. You know, it doesn't work just to say it. You've got to say, I am confident. I am going to nail this interview, but you've got to believe it. You've got to, you've got to actually move yourself physically and have that energy inside of it and then go into the interview. If you're really struggling with trying to, to get your energy to come through to the other person. Yeah. I just found myself moving closer to the edge of my seat <laughs> to get better posture. Mm-hmm. Here. That's a very mm-hmm. good tip. So I got to ask, what's it like to win an Emmy? Can you, can you walk us through what, what goes on in your head in that moment? Oh, uh, um, you know, I give, I give serious props to the woman who really revealed her story. And we go back to storytelling, but Kimberly Morton, she revealed her story and, you know, allowed us to walk, you know, walk through this process with her of trying to create real change. And so um, winning the Emmy, I felt like for, for, for me, for her, for, you know, the, the work going into the story, um, for the lives that it would change, you know, in the, in the future years, it wouldn't impact her per se and her case, but for so many others. And so it was an awesome moment. It was an awesome moment. It was in Nashville. Um, and I had some family and, and friends there. It was, it was just a, it was an amazing, it was an amazing moment. And I, and I will say, you know, the Emmy is, is one of hundreds or thousands of stories. Um, and I think that there's so many stories that deserve accolades in the sense that they, they create change. Um, this is just one of them, you know? And, and so, you know, I always say that there's, there's so many stories that don't get awards that other reporters do as well that are fantastic and that are phenomenal. And, uh, this, this, I was just blessed that this was one of them that did receive it, you know, a really great accolade. So I got to ask, first of all, I love how humble you are. I mean, you know, you could say, here I am, I want an Emmy, you're right, that was all me. And, and you gave it back to the person whose story it really was. And you give it back to all the other stories out there. It speaks volumes of who you are. Well, we've really enjoyed hearing your story today. As we wrap up here, what would be some last minute advice that you could give to our listeners as they seek their own passions and, and move forward in life? Look at what your strength is. I, I think that's something that if you can find what naturally comes to you, your strength, you can weave that into whatever. You know, you can really create either a career out of it, a business out of it. Um, and, and I think that, you know, oftentimes we say, you know, follow your passion, follow your passion. But if you go to your strengths and you look at that, um, it will create so much room for you to explore things that you may be passionate about. And so I know that that's, that's a flip, you know, from what a lot of people may think. But if you go 
go closer to your strength, you know? So if, if I, if I know my strength is writing, then, you know, it really opens doors as I start to work on that craft and it takes work, but it opens doors in all these other ways. My business is really based on writing and my ability to write and speak both things that are strengths, but both things that I had to really work at. So I would tell somebody, you know, look at your strength and get really centered on what that is, what comes natural to you. And so much will be easier for you in life if you can do that. Um, The other thing is do the work. Too often people say, I want something. I want, I want, I want. And they're not willing to do the work, to get up earlier, to stay up later, to do the work. Do the work. It's, it's just one of those things where I think a lot of people want it to come easy. And you know what? It's not. It's not always easy. So be willing to do the work. The other thing I would say is to consistently invest in your own personal development Even if your job isn't doing it for you, a lot of people expect their jobs to maybe pay for this or pay for that. Sometimes the job will, but sometimes they won't. Invest in your own personal growth. And that is one of the best things you can do for your own success and for your own fulfillment. Strengths, work, and personal investment. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the show today, Bofta. We've loved our time with you. We hope you've enjoyed yourself and we know a lot of listeners get some value from this. So thank you. No, thanks guys. Thanks guys for inviting me. I know we were running around scheduling snafus. So I'm I'm so excited we were able to do this and I'm so excited for your audience. And I I love a young audience who's eager to just jump into things. And and you guys are really a, a testament to that. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends. Our goal is to empower as many young professionals as possible. If you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and haven't yet done so, throwing us a rating or subscribing helps us know we're headed in the right direction. If this has left you wanting more, visit us at practicallypassionate.com. We're here to help you on your journey. Again, that's practicallypassionate.com. As always, thanks for listening. This is Alex. This is Rashav. 